Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Can we drop the bit now, okay? Hi everyone, I'm Nico. This is a fun show about mutants, okay? So, this is We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jono. We hope you survive the experience, unlike a lot of mutants in these books. Ooh. And, you know, let's definitely start with what isn't surviving this experience. The X-Men shipping schedule. It would appear that X-Men 5 through 7 have been pushed back. And that comes on the heels of a few other delays they'd already announced. And we keep this chat going all week long, getting ready for the episode, or discussing the books, or just generally memeing at each other. I forget which one of us said something. Kyle, I believe it was you, but you pointed out, I wonder what this is going to mean for those interpolated trades, as they're calling it the Dawn of X volume trades. Yeah, I mean, having these books delayed like this, I could see that affecting the trades, but at the same time, those come out, what, six months after? Yeah, so I guess they do have time to get in there and adjust as needed. Yeah, but it's gonna skew that timing that they need. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how it will affect all the volumes coming out in the future because all these books since Dawn of X started have been going hand in hand with little to no mix up of what reading order you should be reading them in. So when it does come to this new idea of Dawn of X volumes, it'll be a little weird to see how they fix that and how it will actually affect the books when they come out each month as well, because I could see this being a little bit of a hiccup in the story, and that would be very unfortunate because it would affect every book. And I think that's the danger of trying to run a situation like this, where you have all of these titles bouncing back and forth. I, for one, don't know that I think any book has a cast so much as it has a, like, favorite mutant to torture. Jonah, have you found those, these are all the people you should know if you read this, zizzes in the front helpful? For the most part, yes. I don't think they've really had any characters that I've never heard of only ones really are Wayne's Maxim and Manon. Yeah, they really, they suck. They creep me out and they suck. I just want to say that. I don't like them. I don't like them. They creep me out and they suck. I don't think you're supposed to like them. I don't. I don't. I don't. If they came to my house trick-or-treating, I would be like, no, no candy, go away. Go. No no candy, go. Why are you Why are you still looking at me? You and then their leave. creepy eyes would turn black and then you would die. <laughs> and then I would die. I wanted to mention something else that happened this week that is Krakoan related. Some people might not be reading. It's not something that I read. But this past week in the issue of the comic Gwenpool Strikes Back, it was revealed that Gwenpool is actually a mutant. And for those of you that have no idea who Gwenpool is or think that she's just some weird Deadpool version of Spider-Gwen, she's actually a kind of interesting character. I didn't know any of this until this week, but she's a girl named Gwendolyn Poole, with an E at the end, who is a comic book fan that is actually from our world, like you and I, whose powers manifested and she was able to transport herself into comic world Earth 616. And yeah, anyway, her the book, I think, actually just ended its run of a miniseries and it ended with showing that Gwenpool is actually a mutant because she was welcomed to Krakoa and she got a hug from Wolverine and Kid Omega. Huh. And I think that's amazing. I think there was something about Cardinal and oh, Rasputin over in the pages of Spider-Man. Right. And I don't know which title it is, but there was a Spider-Man title. It might have actually been last, like the week before, but in whatever story is happening with Spider-Man, he got to see a variety of multiple realities. And in one of the flashes, we got to see Rasputin and Cardinal from the powers of 10 books. And I can't remember which, uh, life 
of Moira as it was like yep. Life 9. But I believe that could just be an indicator that we necessarily have not seen the last of Rasputin and Cardinal. From Jonah's lips to the Marvel editor's ears. Yeah, it's like they heard me finally. Thank you, friends of the pod, Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think there's one more bit of relevant information that should not go unmentioned, and I will be discussing it a bit more in depth over on our coverage of Marvel 1000, 1001, and Incoming. But if anybody here is a fan of writer Mark Wade, they might have caught that he's doing a book called The History of the Marvel Universe. The history of the Marvel Universe, it turns out, is not just a history, but also features some future things. Things that, some of which have definitely been confirmed to come to pass. Others, hints of what could, such as Mark Wade's indication that Tony Stark will be marrying Emma Frost. <laughs> exactly. But I actually love it. A million trillion percent, Emma's getting back into the industrialist game, so she's going to need to rebuild her network of businesses. She's also going to need help doing things that I am not knocking Frost money, but she's going to need to do things that involve scuzzy money. She's going to need Stark money. But I loved it. I thought that was a really cool hint, and I'm really eager to see where that goes. Okay, okay. okay. (laughs) I'll give it a chance. It's not the first time they've been said to have a relationship. I agree with all the okays that Kyle gave. I'm openly optimistic (laughs) about it. Well, your approval means a lot to them. Good. (laughs) Well, they are friends of the pod. They sure are. Things here in Krakoa are getting a little bit manic, and I think it has to do with the fact that Marvel is only releasing one title on December 25th, which is Christmas Day. They're going to be releasing Marvel Incoming. Most stores will be getting that book on December 26th instead, because, you know, shipping delay. And Marvel is really trying to make a big deal out of this Incoming event. Now, we will be handling Incoming here on We Are Krakoa, as well as Empire, the event that is spinning out of it. And you know this event is very serious. Serious because they're spelling it with a Y. It's E-M-P-Y-R-E. And, you know, it's kind of like spelling something with a Z. That just makes it inherently cooler. So spelling it with a Y... I mean, I'm guessing it does have something to do with fire, like a pyre, like burning, right? So I imagine it's like burn down the establishment or some sort of thing burning down institutions we understand. In concordance with that, Marvel decided to release five X-Men books this week. Five. One, two, three, four, and five. Of course, the book missing is Jonathan Hickman's X-Men, which I think I'm the only person whose favorite book that is here. So I don't think the whole team's crying so much as I'm crying and everybody feels bad for me. Yes, I feel bad for Nico. Oh, I don't feel bad for you. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I guess this empathy thing, I'll just try hard. But I wanted to get this whole ball rolling because I felt like this fourth issue... You know what? No, I'm being way too hard on Dylan. He's had a really tough year. Monet isn't in any books. Warpath isn't in any books. And Jean's in every book. Every single book. Everywhere you turn. How do I leave this podcast? Gene here. It's some Gene there. So, anyway, back to the story at hand. Um, so, yeah, let me. What was it? Dylan doesn't feel bad for me. Um, so, okay. Marauders number four focused primarily on Bishop's mission in Taiwan, where he enlisted the help of Kate Pride because she's pretty much the badass vagabond vigilante now, and that's what's needed. It was a really weird story. That's the only way I can describe it is weird. And what was very prevalent was Kate and Bishop's relationship. Kyle, how did it make you feel seeing Kate and Bishop interact with one another on this mission? I thought that it was really fun. Their connection. It's not something that I was expecting from the two of them. And I don't know, Kate's kind of consistently pushing Bishop on the whole being the red Bishop position just kind of made me chuckle the entire time that the two of them were on the page together. Yeah, I actually really loved that section too. One of the things that's interesting is Bishop is created in Uncanny X-Men 282, which is well after Kitty leaves the team. 
Kitty is at that point on Excalibur. Kitty doesn't return to the X-Men until Bishop leaves the X-Men. So they didn't really formally get to know each other until sometime during the, I want to say, Extreme X-Men era. Bishop had existed for 10 years before they had an opportunity to become friends. And I really liked this dynamic. It reminds me a little bit of Bishop and Jubilee's dynamic. Dylan, I don't know if you saw threads of that too. It did seem like that. And I was going to actually mention that because I am a huge fan of Bishop. I loved seeing this and it actually did remind me of times in comics of banter between Bishop and Jubilee. I love how Bishop is being written in Marauders because I feel like the past decade or decade and a half has not been too kind for Bishop and he is a pretty amazing X-Man. So I'm glad he's being written in a far better light nowadays. I absolutely concur. I really enjoy the way Bishop is written. I think he's a really fantastic character and seeing him interact with Kate is pretty interesting. Nico, I have two questions for you. We get mention of Jumbo Carnation, Fashionista Mutant, Diva. Oh my god. Oh my god. I sat, as I was reading it, I sat there singing the day Jumbo Carnation died. I was so fucking happy with that moment. You cannot reference Riot at Xavier's enough for me. I fucking lost it. That was it for me. Absolutely the same. We <laughs> we stand fashionistas in this household and on this island. Oh my god. And I think my favorite part was that Jumbo Carnation came back from the dead ready to serve. <laughs> <laughs> Not just serve serve. But my main question for you, we saw some text messages between Beast and Bishop, and Beast notes that they're trying to look after Kate so that she's not doing anything dangerous. It feels like from this story, we're getting the shift of Kate entering adulthood and wanting to be more mature and more of an adult mutant. Do you think it's wise that her teammates are still infantilizing her that she needs to be checked upon? Or do you think it's more of a positive and they understand that they need to make sure that Kate is able able to just, you know, process what's going on because I'm pretty sure being the only mutant not allowed on Krakoa kind of sucks. There's a really important dichotomy to keep in mind here. I do think that she's being over-infantilized. I, for one, am tired of seeing Kitty Pride grow up, and by that I mean I felt very confident in Kitty Pride's adulthood at the end of Excalibur. And again, when the X lineup reorganized to put all of the Claremont X-Men back on, and again, in Claremont's Reload, and again, in Mechanics, and again, in Astonishing X-Men. And again. And then when Fraction brought her back, I just feel like the lesson is Kitty Pryde is going to be 16 until she's 37, then she's going to be 16 until she's 38. The thing that makes this different for me is that I feel they can see that Kitty is engaging in some risk behaviors. And when you've always been the golden child, no one's ever been like, man, Kitty Pryde, she's the least cool X-Men. Except maybe the new mutants. And that's because they're jealous. So it's not like Kitty Pryde has ever been the freak in her conscious adult life. I think what we're seeing is her loved ones react to fear that she's never been in this territory before. But I am personally tired of seeing Kitty Pride learn the lessons of growing up. She has already taken the good. She has already taken the bad. She has taken them both. And she is Shadow Cat. The facts of life. I agree. After a certain point, Kitty Pride has been in comics for 40 years. You have to stop making her a John Hughes character. We get the introduction of what appears to be the right to Hellfire Club Trading Company with these weird rich kids. Hey, I don't know. Nope. Watch yourself. Watch oh. your motherfucking self. <laughs> oh. You will not speak ill of the true reigning Hellfire King in my house. Jonah, don't listen to him. You're fine. They're weird. <laughs> um, this is the superior Hellfire Club. Cade Kildare is the Black King we deserve. Yeah, well, I don't care for this Lolita Emma knockoff wannabe white queen. So you just you just oh. watch yourself. Anyway, oh my Dylan. god, they're one of my favorite things. I didn't. <clears throat> Dylan, <laughs> how do you feel that what appears to be the main antagonistic of this title is a rival company as opposed to a singular mutant entity or a different group that like X Force is facing? Did you expect this? Or were you expecting more of like someone else who likes control, like Celine or something along those lines? 
I didn't expect this type of, I guess, villainry for Marauders because it's an X-Men book. You just think that we're going to have evil villains like Selene, like you mentioned. But with the way the Dawn of X titles are going and the new status quo for mutants in Marvel, how they are becoming their own nation and the drugs that they are offering to the rest of the world, it only makes sense that one of the X-Men titles is basically more of a corporation type of title. And it's actually kind of cool that it's going to be slightly different than other books. I agree with you, Dylan. I think it's needed because we need the variety. We have a lot of different newer characters. And if I'm going off of Nico's insinuation of his love for these other Hellfire Club characters, these weird rich kids, I'm just going to keep saying it. You can't stop me. Well, you actually can. Let me put it this way. Here's <laughs> we can just call them brats if you want to. No, absolutely. They're Hellfire Club brats dolls. Here's what I love about them. Where they occur in canon and where they came from is from one of my all-time favorite books in the history of the fucking medium, Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron. It so resonates with what makes me happy about comic books. And so many of the stories are so off the wall and clever and different. I feel Cade, the toxic Emma Frost to Quentin Quire's venomous gene. And I really love everything about that era of Wolverine and the X-Men and what it gave me for my hero Logan, what it gave me for the furthering of my precious Quentin, and I will forever stand baby brew till the day I die. I'm actually kind of excited to see more of them. I jumped into Wolverine and the X-Men on Nico's uh, suggestion earlier this year, and seeing their little arc during that had me interested in the book more so, and I want to see what they've been up to since the end of that arc. We had Excalibur, which seemed to give us a lot of new story elements that moved things along to the point where we're seeing what is affecting both Otherworld and Britain. We see Betsy answer the summons from the Queen, where she learns that Coven Akaba has already tried to sabotage her new role. In addition, we see Apocalypse has worked with Richter to figure out his abilities and sent him and Gambit on a mission to recover, I guess you'd call them mutant fossils. Ooh. Ooh, mutant fossils. I'm not sure I'm saying it like Fozzie Bear, but- Are we talking about the Golden Girls? That it- <laughs> I mean, they're not mutants. <laughs> they're plantinists or whatever. I just wanted they're to plantinos. call them fossils. <laughs> I love all the stuff you're pointing out, Kyle, because I walked away from this issue like simultaneously unsettled and excited and you're reminding me of all of the reasons why that's how I felt. Unsettled? Okay. Yeah, this is probably my favorite issue of Excalibur. I find it interesting that these crystals that Apocalypse has been experimenting with has turned out to be bones of mutants that have had their powers drained. Do any of you feel like this could have any kind of ramifications for revealing more mutants from the past that we might not be aware of. I feel like we're going to get a little bit more about like the, I almost want to call it arcanography of mutancy, but more than anything, it made me wonder something really, okay, hear me out. Number one, I found all of the druid stuff kind of creepy in a Warren Ellis Hellstrom kind of way, which word up, I'm there. But also that did, did anybody else feel like that felt like a really good fit for Richter somehow after all these years? Sure. He's been through so much. You know what? He's a sorcerer now. Great. But I think the thing I want to know is if the bones of mutants give you powers and Xavier has found a way to limitlessly create the bones of mutants, oh, is that what Apocalypse I didn't is think after? Of that. I was definitely going to suggest that. I feel like these are the seeds. <laughs> God, Apocalypse and his seeds. Oh my um, God, that you get a dazzling beauty for that one because it's just... His seed just creeps up in you, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it just, it just, it just happens, and then it's there all over you. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like these are the seeds of. Just in my opinion, I don't think Apocalypse is a good guy. I feel like we are going to get hints here and there of like a year from now when Apocalypse decides to take over Krakoa and kill everyone. 
He's just gathering the tools that he needs for that to happen. And I feel like Richter is going to be manipulated into becoming a horseman. Oh, well, and hear me out, especially because what they're doing is they're throwing the unsurvivable mutants down this giant hole in the ground. And the whole big thing is I need someone who can control the Earth. I wonder if Apocalypse is going to let the X-Men build his army against them who hate them now anyway. And I wonder if Apocalypse is just letting Xavier do all the work for him because Apocalypse has a really great understanding of how Xavier works because Apocalypse had that download of Moira. If Apocalypse has been made aware of all of this, it's this endless cycle of reveals and I never trust Apocalypse. So if, if somebody is going to possibly know Moira is out there, it's fucking Apocalypse. And I just feel like this is a bad, bad day for the X-Men and poor Rogue that she has been evidently sleepworking. I don't well, know. Is that like some Nambusist thing? I don't, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, speaking of bad days, we also learned that Captain Britain's actions in other worlds, where they pretty much used Shogo to burn away the uh, opposition, has caused uh, some ramifications in our worlds, and it's opened a portal of mystical beasts, which I'm not sure how I'm interpreting it, but it kind of looks Looks like Apocalypse was waiting for that to happen. Is that how all of you uh, interpreted it as well? I agree with that interpretation. It seemed like Apocalypse had some knowledge that this is what was going to happen, but it also felt like he didn't expect Rogue to go into a stasis. It was a very weird scene with A, as Richter says he likes to be called, and if anyone... Never mind. You that wanted to make a Daddy A joke, didn't you? Yes, I did. There actually is something like, it's not the same way, but it's sort of that way that you know that Phantom X is disgusting, but he's hot anyway. There's something kind of hot about Apocalypse. There's something a hot Apocalypse. <laughs> Hot apocalypse. Sucking back the throat. Apocalypse. From... <laughs> no. No. I Are like you hungry that. this morning? Try some apoc tarts. No. no. No, that was not a. I think he should good. be. He should become a pharmacist, and he should open the apocacare thing. No. <laughs> you sound so angry. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, Jonah, continue. Save me from myself. I don't know. I don't know if I can. Listen, I don't know Apocalypse as well as everybody else here, so I don't know not to trust him. But I don't know if Apocalypse's schemes are about control. That's not where my mind went, especially talking about it. And it's more because when Xavier invited Apocalypse the first moment for Krakoa, and that's where it was more understanding of him willing to be quote-unquote good. He seems more neutral at this point, because I don't know how much good he's doing. He's still kind of doing his own thing. I am really curious as to what exactly Mr. A is up to. You said you don't know him well enough not to trust him. I think the only point I want to make is his name isn't Mr. Friendly Face. His name is Apocalypse. <laughs> We're not asking you to judge a guy whose name is, like, Jerry. No one's like, eh, but his name is Jerry! That's an asshole name! <laughs> I kind of is. I've heard every woman named Margaret is secretly talking about you behind your back. Like, you know, no one's saying that, but... Are you saying that about Megan and Brian's child? Oh. Yes. Yeah, because we found out her name. I wanted to make a observation about this issue as a whole real quick. I feel like this was the first Excalibur issue that didn't seem like the Betsy Braddock show with her backup singers. I really agree. I think that's why it was my favorite. I really agree. Most of the Betsy parts, it seemed like it was very 50-50 with Betsy and Pete. Oh, and was it? I, I, I kind of feel like it was. But uh oh, that was my... cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad we, I'm glad I could see that for you. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. Keep telling me all the things I want to hear. There was a little bit of Megan in this issue, and I know she's not a main character for this team, but she's been in a few issues, but Megan is a very important part of Excalibur history, and I do not like the fact that we are just having Megan be in hiding with her child. I don't think that goes along with Megan's history and her love for Brian. I feel like the Megan that most people level. have... 
Yeah. The Megan that most people have read would go and find someone to babysit little talky Margaret, and Megan would go and kill everyone until she got Brian back. I completely agree. She would find a bunch of warpies to babies. I definitely agree with that. I'm really concerned that nobody has revealed to her that Brian has been captured by by Morgan Le Fay at this point. Spoiler beep. If anybody here doesn't want to hear some intense levels of Captain Britain spoilers over the course of 40-something years, mute your damn ears. So when Megan is at her full elemental form, there is no way, and I just don't, I don't give a shit that she, no, she can take down Morgan Le Fay. I don't care. She could take down Morgan Le Fay like it was nothing. In her fullest elemental form, I promise you she could go toe-to-toe with Doctor Doom. The Megan who fought her way through hell, literally? That Megan who took out millions of demons with the power of hope and love? I'm sorry, she literally transcended the realm of death, recreating herself from a thought of her love for Brian. This Megan, there is no way in my mind she would not be able to touch the darkness out of Brian. So, I do have a lot of the same reserves. Everybody felt like you could chew on the sexual tension between Psylocke and Pete, right? Yes. Yes, it was there. Oh, so hot. (laughs) Bang already. The Megan I know and love, there's no way Megan isn't more powerful than this. She's a healer and a mother and a protector, and she knows how to wield weapons when necessary, but she lives a life of love and hope. So I'm really, really conflicted that Megan isn't doing more. Well, hopefully we'll be able to see some some more action from her soon. Yeah, let's hope. I don't have Captain Britain opinions at all. One of the most exciting things about the Hox Pox Docs era has been the really exciting influx of really emotional perspectives. And I think the book doing that the best is New Mutants. This last issue was fucking everything to me. I pray to the church of our Lord Warren Ellis. And Warren Ellis contributed one of the greatest pieces of satire ever in the form of Next Wave. Tabby, boom, boom, boomer, meltdown. I personally didn't need the meta joke about her code names. Tabby has always been a character who is hard to take seriously because she's often treated as the girlfriend even when she is the central figure in the story. It's not hard to take a look at almost any arc of X-Force and examine the actions of Boom Boom and compare them with Domino. The only difference is Domino does it all with a smile and a joke. Boom Boom does it with a sadness in her heart because this isn't the life she wanted. She's a warrior first and it's a complex narrative they tried to create for this character who was introduced in the second Secret War so Marvel had always intended for her to be a very big deal. No one ever really understood how to do it. And then Warren Ellis said, lean into the silly. Make her an incredibly serious character through silliness. This iteration we have of her is certainly the most referential of Next Wave. And this was such a fantastic examination of predominantly three female characters. I was over the moon with the interpretation of Boom Boom as a woman trying to figure out who she needs to be. We keep talking about who these characters are supposed to be, but Boom Boom finds out or comes to realize that Armor and the team has been missing for days and starts to go around looking for some assistance to figure out what to do because clearly she doesn't want to do anything and she's trying not to do anything and she does keep positioning herself to help. It's who she is. Meanwhile, back in the hostage situation, we see a moment of pure courage from Angel Salvador, who I can't get enough of in this arc so far. She has been treated with respect and dignity, and that's the kind of thing we're looking for for Kitty and Marauders, that opportunity to grow into someone amazing and new. They've given that to Angel. I think the amount of time she spent off the page really helped. We even come to understand how they found out where the Bohusk family was. It turns out in the age of Hoxpox docs, mutants are getting doxed. The dawn of X means that mutants are all over the internet, and it wasn't hard to find them. Armor also shows true courage under fire in trying to do the right thing for her team. The issue ends with Tabby finally making it to help save the day and I can only imagine this is going to be some sort of secondary satellite New Mutants team, right? We'll probably have like the Space New Mutants team and an Earth-based New Mutants team of even younger mutants. I know that everybody has varying amounts of experience with these characters but I did kind of have some interest in finding out what you guys thought about specific things. Jonah, I have been so excited for you to get to know Tabby this whole time. I've brought her up a zillion times. How was your first full Tabby issue. Tabby really made her mark. 
I think my only problem is Tabby also going through excessive drinking right now. Not to say only one character can be doing it at once, but... No, only one woman in her 20s can have a drinking problem. It's just another further comparison for Kate, and I don't want two women to com- always be compared to one against one another for their character growth and issues that they're currently going through. That being said, I think she's a very interesting girl. I think she is such a weirdo and I say this in the most loving way that she seems like she's the character who viciously beats to the march of her own drum and she does not care if you like the music or that if it's quiet time or that if it's jazz time. She's gonna be banging that drum. That's jazz time, you know? That's that. I When I look at my clock and it's one, two, three, four, J, six, seven, I always forget that the J stands for jazz time. So thank you for that. <laughs> now, from standing for Jonah to standing for everything the X-Men are meant to represent, Kyle, I don't know if I'm right about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about her, but I imagine that Armor's sense of duty to her friends would be something that has resonated with you if you've read it before or at least here. She's very loyal. And she's very about her found family. What did you think about her stand as the leader of the New Mutants in this issue? I absolutely loved her throughout this issue. She's strong. She knows what a good time to take a risk is. And you can tell that she cares about her teammates and their safety and the safety of the innocents around them. I really think it's a tribute to her powers as well, that ability to create this armor. She's such a dynamic, important character. And I just really can see you appreciating that strength that she shows from within. But not everybody started with that strength from within. Some people, ooh, some people took a little while to swallow there. Dylan, I know that you have no great love for new X-Men the way (laughs) I do, so I have to imagine some of the more irritating parts of it are pretty irritating. And Angel Salvador certainly makes me itchy. Until Exiles. To be completely real, when Angel shows up in Exiles, I kind of fall in love with her. A number of her subsequent appearances, with the exception of the New Warriors book, Angel Salvador took a really long time to be become this man she's she's her own mutant i don't think i can compare her to another x-man what did you think about seeing her show daring cleverness and instinctively free someone else instead of protecting herself it i want to say first i actually out of the craziness that was new x-men i actually liked angel there's a lot of mutants in that time that were created and made that i don't really care for glob is actually one of them oh <laughs> i love him so glob. <laughs> oh he's so simple he is what angel did was pretty amazing i love that when it comes to a lot of these dawn of x books when we have cameo appearances like with Angel and Beak, I don't, like you said, I don't really think that Armor and Glob are a cameo. I feel like there's going to be two different versions and New Mutants and Glob and Armor are a part of that. But Angel and Beak being cameos in this, I love that the writer is giving a showcase to these other characters like Angel. Angel has a pretty weird power set too, but to be able to use that weird power set in a way to help them is, it's pretty neat. And I'm all for these Z-lister characters getting some limelight, even if they are a big pink thing with a skeleton inside of it. Yeah, it's really kind of sweet that the X-Men are finding ways to pay tribute to all of the eras that came before that tried to move it forward. We have an episode either coming out or just come out where we take a look at kind of chrono-skimming the other X-titles that helped create this era, and the kindness and love shown to Grant Morrison's new X-Men that kind of maybe seemed like it wasn't always permitted in the initial post-Martz era was a little difficult for me. So I hope this is a response to the success of the Secret Wars E is for Extinction miniseries, which I liked, or perhaps Cassandra Nova's inclusion in X-Men 92. That would be a nice touch. I'm just so happy to see these characters. It really warms my heart because these are, this is my like, my, ah, my school book. So I'm really excited. So I had actually just 
read Beak and Angel's introductions in uh, New X-Men this week. So seeing them in this, in that beginning phase of their life compared to where they have, where their journey has taken them was actually really cool. So I'm really glad that I was able to hit that point in my exploration of New X-Men right when this came out. Oh, me too. And like, I'm, I'm so happy about that because it's it's really great that a thing I've recommended to you so many times is having at least relevance in your further reading. It's really cool when your back issue reads can merge with your new issue reads in a way that adds depth to both. Definitely. So, this is our, at least mine, introduction to Manon and Maxim. They were characters introduced in Extinction, originally from a different Earth, and their 616 Earth iteration. But um, them basically being able to do mind control is basically their whole shtick. One controls emotions and calms them down, the other modifies their memories, and in conjunction, they can use mind control. They're actually really powerful together. It's been noted that they've been able to break down Wolverine and Storm uh, in conjunction with one another, and it's very scary seeing them act, and it almost makes me question whether or not they're actually good mutants, because Glob says, why didn't you make them think that we're just friends? Why are you having him become so extremely violent? It was a little much. It really, I think, supports our argument that it's possible that the unwelcomes of Krakoa are going to have good reason to turn against the X-Men. Speaking of turning against the X-Men, this week also had X-Force issue number four come out. And in this issue, we got to see that once again, another important Krakoan stronghold, which is the Xavier Pharmaceuticals distribution site, was attacked by one of the many groups of anti-mutant groups that have all joined together. They ended up killing a whole bunch of dupes of Multiple Man, which was pretty horrifying. I feel like Multiple Man. Dupe? Someone said dupe? Uh, 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 shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even, (laughs) I couldn't even think of anything funny to say. No, no dupe, no dupe. Oh. Um, I feel like we get to see Jamie die awfully too many times every other year in Marvel Comics, which is sad. In this issue, we got to see a lot more of the Quiet Council discussing matters that are happening, which I think is really interesting thing that needs to show up in as many of the Dawn of X books as it can, even if it's just a slight mention. If they're a Quiet Council that's making all the decisions for all of the X-Men and all of Krakoa, I think we should see them more often, so I'm glad we got to see that. And also in the book, we got to see Gene and Beast and Sage team up to go find some intel. And one, I love seeing Sage be showcased more than just sitting at a computer like she has been so far in most of the Dawn of X titles. I wanted to point out that I really do like how, kind of just like with New Mutants on how the issues have now had kind of two different teams, I like that it seems like X-Force is kind of that way, where we've had a few issues mainly focus on Wolverine, Kid Omega, and Domino, and now this issue kind of has a focus on Gene, Beast, and Sage. I like that we can have a team book that splits up so it doesn't try too hard for so much characterization all at once. I wanted to ask you, Nico, being the Gene lover that you are, how are you feeling with Gene's role in an X-Force book? X-Force is typically a dark ops military type of team, and this book still kind of has that as a part of its shtick. How do you feel about Jean being a part of an X-Force book? Now that you bring it up, it actually resonates with what her purpose has been in each issue. She has consistently been a grounding force, reminding people of Xavier's dream in a lot of ways. She's the one who, one of my favorite moments was Sinister basically being like, do I get to kill everyone yet? Like, he is (laughs) my absolute favorite. He's just, he's, I want like a -A Build-A-Bear Sinister 
sinister so badly, but like super femme sinister. I want the eyeliner and I need I, Build-A-Bear because you're listening. Friend of the podcast, Build-A-Bear. I need you guys to give him the freaky teeth. If you can give them a silver outline, I already have the Dark Phoenix gene, Build-A-Bear that just came out. I'm going to pick up the Wolverine next. Marvel, just keep hitting me with X-Men teddy bears, guys. I, I can do this all day. So <clears throat> she really is sort of representing the goodness that are the X-Men, despite this weird position that now mainstay major players like Mystique and Apocalypse are pushing them into. It's not hard to see that the X-Men are struggling to hold on to what makes them the X-Men in the face of becoming a nation state. I'm excited to see how Jean, as a member of X-Force, can continue to drive home that sense of right in a world of wrong. Kyle, I know you are not always about the gore or books having too much of it. Yeah. What are your thoughts? What? (laughs) What are your thoughts? that we are only four issues into almost all of the Dawn of X titles, and at the end of Hoxpox and beginning of Dawn of X, we had these rules, and so far in X-Force, every issue we have had at least one mutant, if not more, and I'm not necessarily talking about Sinister, mention that basically we need to start killing humans. It makes me very uncomfortable. It's definitely putting a focus on the morals of their civilization. And it's it makes me wonder just what would push them to the point where they would completely abandon those rules. It is pretty shocking that it's making them abandon those rules so quickly. But I mean, I guess we do need to consider that they sent some people and they killed a whole bunch of mutants very quickly. Oh yeah. (laughs) Jonah, with this being four issues in, these are a lot of characters that aren't necessarily focal points of many books that you have read. What are your thoughts so far? I have a weird feeling about X-Force as a whole. I like the idea of the mutant CIA. They even called it that. I like the idea of the Cocoan Nation realizing that because not everyone is so welcome to the idea of their own nation, they kind of have to gather whatever information they can to ensure the safety of their nation. And they realize that with their Quiet Council meeting, the rules that they did originally establish kind of do need to be reformed a bit. I'm really interested to see the kinds of missions that Domino, Wolverine, and Quentin are going to go on. I'm really excited to see what Forge is going to do. I got, like, the biggest hard-on for Forge right now. Um, <laughs> Forge is the greatest thing ever. Can we talk about him, like, having his own bat cave of so many weapons and suits? That was pretty amazing. Wow. So I'm really excited to see that introduction of mutant technology mixed with Krakoan fauna. I wish maybe the story was sped up a little bit. Maybe like this would be the point of contention in the third issue so we can see more of what's going on intelligence and intel-wise. I would have loved that. You mentioned missions with Domino and Quentin and Logan, and this book ended with, and I'm sorry to laugh, it might be because I'm not that big of a Quentin fan, but the issue ended with Wolverine, Domino, and Quentin trying to go through a Krakoan portal, and the portal closed, leaving Domino still on Krakoa, and half of Wolverine and Quentin's head detached from the rest of them on the other end of the portal. Nico, how did you want to close out us talking about X-Force with your favorite pink-haired friend being decapitated? I loved it. Quentin Quire has that toxic, immortal confidence that doesn't look good on anyone. And I imagine it's because Quentin beat death one time. He felt very confident that he can, I guess, do it again now that it's the rule. But the reality is, the way it happened last time, nothing like the violence of this. He needed to be confronted with that violence to remind him that this is an opportunity for mutants to go further as a society, not an opportunity for every mutant to become a fucking terrorist. And it's that duality. It becomes the question of which Quentin are we talking about? Are we talking about Magneto was right, Quentin? Or are we talking about do you remember when Wolverine was cool? Me neither, Quentin. Because my Quentin is the latter. My Quentin spray paints in the bathroom, looking to get attention from the father figure he is desperate for the approval of. That's my Quentin. He has gone on such an interesting journey through the last couple of years, whether it's the first or second volume of Wolverine and the X-Men, or it's his stint as an Avenger with Kate Bishop. I love the places they've taken him, but now it needs to be reined back in a little bit. We need to go back to where we can move forward. Something interesting is you brought up Bishop earlier. One of my favorite runs 
runs on Bishop ever is actually one of my favorite cable runs in which Bishop becomes a villain. I actually think that story is really beautiful. They needed to pull back sooner, but it's one of those stories that the story is beautiful, but the outcome is really hard to navigate. I would completely agree. That was the best run for both Cable and Bishop. I think this is an example of that. Quentin did a lot of growing, but now we're at a place with him where he needs to be pulled back. Remember at the end of Hawksbox, everybody was asking how Wolverine has his claws after being resurrected? This issue showed us that in the event that they need to resurrect Wolverine, they have a giant pool of adamantium just waiting for him. I think it's so weird that they did that, because John Hickman had already said that it was about genetic modification. I honestly got really upset with this, because it was like, oh, just in case we need to resurrect Wolverine, it's here. And then immediately they kill Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) So... That's not choreographing. That's not foreshadowing. That's pointing to the thing you're about to do in two minutes. Too heavy-handed for me. Kind of hadn't considered how perhaps kind of sloppy that felt. Because I was just so annoyed that they did it, because that was something that I thought Hickman handled deftly in interviews early on. I didn't think there was a question. He talked about gene editing. That's how Warren is able to summon his archangel form, and that's how Monet is able to shift into her penance form. So I'm not sure the value to clarifying something that whether it was directly or implicitly clarified, the answer already existed. (sighs) Fallen Angels has me very nervous, you guys. This issue of Fallen Angels, I don't think anything actually happened. It didn't. And... That was a little concerning, and then the next concern was that it was a lot of talking, and then the next concern was that it was some tropey feeling stuff, and I walked away not quite as in love with this issue. But I walked away realizing that this is meant to be a series about the nature of forged relationships. So, the most important thing to Psylocke in this story, to Quanon, is to bond with Laura in a way that improves her quality of life, right? To be a master, to achieve her happiness happiness. So then, Laura's most important thing is to learn to control the monster inside her, because Laura, like Logan, considers the monster a separate thing from her personality. And I get that. Okay, for Apoth, it is about the moment of connectivity they shared across this door, where she just simply didn't kill him in his digital infancy. So then, he gets on the internet, and he's hyper-connected, and he's very dangerous. I get that. This issue of Fallen Angels was visually one of the best issues this week because I felt almost every other issue, the interiors were a little bit pushing toward Lionel Francis U, almost like there's starting to be like an X-Line style, and I don't care for that. It's not that I necessarily think that it was that these anchors were paid per line of cross-hatching, but it definitely seemed at some points like the X-Men comics are in the pocket of big ink, <laughs> so I'm a little uh, about that. But the work on Fallen Angels this month was some of the most beautiful visuals. And for my money, I think that's in part because they've kept the cast pretty small. Three people as an entire cast representing the sum narrative does a lot for me as a reader. And I was eager to see where this story went. And so I guess my question to you guys is... This is a book that talks about gods, and it talks about death, and it talks about the nature of relationships, but we're starting to see it feed back on itself kind of cyclically. We're still talking about the same things from the first issue, knowing that this whole thing wraps up in two issues, you know, 24 pages. What is everybody thinking going into this? I'm wondering just where it could possibly go. There's really not a lot of space for them to expand on this story much more, and I feel like there are too many threads still hanging to be resolved in two books. I agree with you, Kyle. I was a little upset that it's three issues where we're still stuck in the exact same scene. A lot of other books have been a few more places, and it feels like time is moving forward. Fallen Angel the time seems to considerably slow down a lot, and I'm just really concerned. I also don't feel like there's any room for surprises. I know where the story has to go, and there's either going to be one or two resolutions to this, and it's just like really funny that Fallen Angels number one was almost unanimously our favorite book from the dawn at the start of the Dawn of X, and for me personally, it is fallen like an angel. <laughs> 
Yes. I agree. The tumble was certainly severe. I'm not displeased. I don't dislike the book by any means, but I definitely feel that my opinion on the title is affected by my knowledge that not only is it over after six issues, but Cable is going to a solo and Psylocke is going to Hellions the next month. It makes me wonder where Laura's going to turn up. Perhaps her own solo. Perhaps she'll be in Wolverine's book, but there's definitely room for her in the Dawn of X. Speaking of Cable, I feel like he is not being used adequately enough at all in this book. He's taking the place of the stereotypical damsel in distress. I wonder if it has to do with Cable being a core member of Hickman's X-Men. Perhaps Hickman has some amount of control over the character in a way that makes him harder to write than originally expected, especially with the delays. Right. My thoughts on the book are exactly what Kyle and Jonah alluded to. I want to say I I feel like maybe this book was mistitled. <laughs> I understand why they wanted to kind of go with the nostalgia of the name Fallen Angels, but this book could have really just been called Psylocke or Quanin because it's a really good story of giving depth to a character that we don't really know that much about. I know there's a lot of fans who actually for the most part, dropped Fallen Angels after issue two or three. I think if the book would have been titled, like I said, Quanin or Psylocke, it would have made much more sense. And I think maybe if they would have focused maybe a little bit more on Quanin instead of trying to give us these storylines that include Laura and Cable, because I feel like this is a little watered down for Laura and Cable, we don't really know that much about yet. Uh, I feel like they were trying to give us something with Laura and Cable, and it really should have just been more focused on Quanin, and I think these last few issues would have been a lot more interesting of a read. I agree. It's not like I think it's a shit show. I don't feel like, oh man, they've forgotten how to write, or anything, but I definitely feel the being pulled in too many directions of the narrative. Guys, as always, it is a pleasure coming to Krakoa with all of you. It used to be amazing when we got to go to Grey Malkin, but look at this entire new nation we've built for ourselves. It's been an incredible year here on X's for Podcast, and we couldn't be more excited about the future. We have a couple of special surprises coming up. You definitely want to check out HTML's coverage of Rap Battle. Number one, Rap Battle was one of the greatest pieces of art I've ever seen. Number two, our coverage of it features not just Kevo and I, but it also features the brilliance of Jonah and the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Blazing hatred of Joey. So you really want to check that out. Don't forget to give a listen here in the coming days where we'll be covering Marvel's Incoming shortly after its release and taking a look at the road to Empire before resuming our normal coverage of We Are Krakoa. The new year is going to bring a lot of new titles for the X-Men and we'll be on every single one of them. And until we start those books, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? If you want to find me, you can go to both Instagram and Twitter at Drancis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group called House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everyone find you? Pointing myself as Emma's White Knight, as I already have. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you guys can find me all over this amazing network on the aforementioned shows or making themes for Too Fast, Too Forever, 567 Patty. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at Nico Action, or you can check me out on my webcomic at KidRiotComics.com, where I make a super queer, superhuman, superhero, fast, fast gay comic book. You can also check out We Are Krakoa, our X Men news resource on the web, or you can. No, I guess. That's everything. That's all the places. No more places. Thank to you, look places. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you, places. Thank you, places. And as always, <laughs> stay mutant. Fight the power. Don't let Apocalypse give you his seed. And <laughs> to all a good night. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>
Oh yeah, you. They gotta fall. Oh, I man. summon my fallen Dwayne. angel. Oh, all the angels, they just like, they just, oh gee, the angels, they just crashing. Just like, oh look, there's an angel and there's another one. There's one over there. There's a snow angel. There's a dirt there's angel. An angel Salvador. That was a ditch angel. This one over here is angel, angel Salvador. Oh my god, can we just do an entire episode like this, please? <laughs> oh, of course, we absolutely could. But we have to pick an episode where everything we say is really annoying, like Dazzler. Well, da- you know Dazzler's I mean? annoying like, anyway. It's gotta be one. Dif- <laughs> Yeah, and defenders, you know what I mean? Pound cakes. So, 